Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We're, we're hungry for you to teach us. We're hungry, God, for your Holy Spirit to form and fashion us as you will. So as I share what's come out of my study, Lord, would you take your word and, and teach everybody here. Hit, hit each of us, O oh Lord. Touch each of us where we are with, uh, with direction and assurance and guidance and reveal who you are. Through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. What I'm going to do today is, is give a, uh, a look through all four of the scriptures that were in our lectionary today and uh, to kind of give an overview. Now, they all, they all patch together and, and make a quilt out of it, but there may be a part of it that speaks especially to you. It may be something that I say. It may be something that the Lord shows you beyond what I say. But here's where we'll start. We'll start with the psalm today. Uh, the psalm uh, reinforces that God deserves our praise. And it, it, it focuses especially on different groups of people who will give God honor uh, because God really does rule over everybody. He really is in charge. He, your problems are not too big for him. He's in charge. Eventually, everybody comes to realize that. So, starts, you who fear the Lord, praise him, all you descendants of Jacob, all the Israelites, all the Jewish people, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. And then he starts going into to other groups, you know, the ones who suffer. The Lord listens to them and helps them. That may be you this morning. The poor, God, God pays attention to the poor. They'll lead and be satisfied. And those who seek the Lord, they'll praise Him. Uh, everyone on the planet, all nations, you know, everyone to the ends of the earth, will bow down before Him, will come to worship Him. Something happened, and, and this is no longer working, gentlemen. Did you click off of the screen somehow? Because this isn't working anymore. I'll catch you up. And then uh, finally, future generations. Oh, we skipped one. All the rich people. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. You may feel like you have all your, your needs met right now. Worship. All who go down to the dust, everybody who dies, everybody who dies will have this recognition that God is the Lord. They'll kneel before Him. And future generations will worship. You know, posterity will serve, so, so that means the, uh, a future generation. And then they'll tell other generations. They'll proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn. Because he's done it. The thing, God is worthy of our praise. It doesn't really matter what situation you're in, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're hungry or satisfied, whether you're suffering or well, God is worthy of our praise. Amen? Isaiah. Isaiah was a, a prophet 
He was speaking to the, the people of Judah, uh, the, the southern kingdom, the, the part around Jerusalem, uh, from the time really that, that the Babylonians invaded and took the people off into captivity and, and throughout that captivity. But our passage today is about the assurances that God gives that the people will come back, that he's going to restore Israel. And, and I want you to, to look at who he pays some attention to in this passage. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, who's that? It's God. Says, I live in the high and holy place. And who does he live with? With those whose spirits are contrite and humble. God is drawing some special attention to those who, who are humble. Who aren't too proud of themselves. Who aren't unrepentant. He says, I'll restore the crushed spirit of the humble. I'll revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Now, why does God bring some special attention to those who are humble? Because that's the easiest way to set our hearts right to be able to come before the Lord and receive from Him. God is willing He's willing to work with anybody, but if you're humble and repentant, you especially are in a place where God can work with you. God wants us to be humble and repentant. He wanted those who were not humble and repentant to become that way. And when they became that way, he would spend time with them as well. Remember Jesus and Zacchaeus. Remember Jesus and Nicodemus. When they came to him humbly, he, he was glad to spend time with them. Okay? God continues, I'll not fight against you forever. I'll not always be angry. If I were, all people would pass away. All the souls that I have made. In, in other words, if God didn't relent and show grace, it would be over rover for all of us. It would be over over for the Israelites who were off in captivity. But God relents. Even if you're not humble, God, God won't punish you forever. He will still call you. I, I'm not talking about hell. There is, you know, ultimately at some point, but that's not our topic for today. But God is calling each of us to repent. God is calling each of us to be humble. And he won't just continually beat on you. To keep you away because he wants you to come close. He does show grace. If he didn't, you wouldn't be here. He continues, verse 17, I was so angry. I was angry so I punished these greedy people. I withdrew from them. But they kept going on their own stubborn way. Now, God, God will do that at times. Don't expect that you're going to have God's blessing and protection no matter how you live, right? If you start going your own stubborn way and forgetting Him and doing, doing things that He says don't do, don't expect Him to say, oh, it's okay and I'll take care of you. God, God does, He'll take hands off. There are consequences that we face, right? Anybody ever face consequences? I have. God will do it. 
They kept going their own stubborn way. I've seen what they do. But this is the other side of God. I'll heal them anyway. I'll lead them. I'll comfort those who mourn. Even in, even in the midst of it, even when, when the people were off in Babylon and they're held captive and things are not going well with them, God was beginning to meet with them to try and change their hearts so that they could come back. God continues, may they have abundant peace, abundant shalom, abundant, may it go well with them. All right? Those who reject God don't know his benefits. There are consequences. But God will yet even call you to come back so that you can know him and all of his benefits. He keeps on, but those who still reject me, even with my grace, even with the things that I do to try and win their hearts back, those who still reject me are like the restless sea. They're in turmoil. They, they're never still. They're constantly churning up mud and dirt. There's, there's stuff that comes up in their lives that's not clear going, that's confusing. You can't see where you are. There is no peace for the wicked. I don't know if you've ever been there. There are times I've felt like I'm there. But God, even that's part of God's grace. And and hopefully our response is that is to be humble, to be repentant, to be willing to change, to to come back to God and say, Whoa, this is this is totally out of my control. Oh God, who where can I turn but to you? So that God can restore us, right? This is who our God is. So the message from this part of Isaiah is that though we can make God angry with us, and we can, right? And there may be consequences. The best way to be restored is to be humble and repentant and to come to him. And we will find him again. He will be close with us. He's calling us through those things. And if we don't, the turmoil just gets stirred up more and more. Right? You may be in turmoil this morning. Come and find out God's grace again. It's best to be humble and to turn back to him. God will restore. That's who he is. Now that theme in in, in a lot of ways continues in our passage from Ephesians today. Paul is writing to a church that has a lot of Gentiles in it. And Gentiles were the people that weren't Jews, right? Any Gentiles in here? Okay. Yeah. So it's to us. It's also a reminder to the Jewish people that were in that congregation as well. And Paul is basically in this passage letting the Gentiles know that they're not second-class citizens. They were on the outs. They didn't know God. They didn't have his law. They, were, they, they didn't know what they didn't know. But now, through Jesus, they're in. Let's see what he says. Uh, he says, don't forget, you Gentiles used to be outsiders. That says there are insiders and outsiders, right? There are people who know him. And come close to him. There are people that don't. You used to be outsiders. You were, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Now that won a lot of friendships, I'm sure. 
They're proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So there were dividing lines. In, in those days, you were living apart from the Messiah, the Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now, this, this should be reminding us some of even the people of God who were taken off into Babylon and were made captive. They, they were living apart from the goodness of God. Okay? This is, these passages are, are read together to, to point out what's in, in common with them. But now, now it's different. You were without hope, but now you've been united with the Messiah, Jesus. You've come to believe and trust in him. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through what? The blood of Christ. Something happened on the cross that opened a doorway for you that had not been opened to you before. The central idea in this passage that we read is about how that happens, okay? So this is, this is what Paul says to them. He's, he says, Christ himself has brought peace to us. He's brought shalom to us. He's, he's brought well-being. He's, he's brought uh, an end to the hostility between people and between people and God. He's united Jews and Gentiles. Now, remember... Jews used to call Gentiles uncircumcised heathen. They didn't get along real well. There's a difference, right? But now he's united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Whoa, how, how did he break down that wall? Because that was a wall. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. Now, Jews had the law. Jews had something, the rules, which it enabled them to have a relationship with God. It was a weird relationship. It wasn't a great relationship. It wasn't like you'd think of a, of a, a loving family. But it was a relationship. It was a way to know God and, and who he was and, and what he intends for the world. And the Jews considered themselves to be superior to non-Jews, to Gentiles. Right? And Paul lets them know that really neither group could have what was provided on the cross. And whether or not the Jews had the law, there's something even better that came through the cross. He goes on, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God. By means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Because of the cross... The Holy Spirit is at work within us to further break down those, those walls. Jesus broke them down. The Holy Spirit ensures that that happens. He brought 
this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to Jews who were near. See, the Jewish people didn't even have the peace that we're talking about here. They had the law. That's, that's good, but it's meant to be more like a school teacher that teaches you what you really need. And this is what we really need. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us, for all of us. The way to come to the Father, the way to have that relationship is because of what happened on the cross. The ultimate part of restoration that that even Isaiah was hinting at was accomplished and ultimately restored by what Jesus did on the cross. What had been broken can now be restored. The relationships between people groups and nations, between individuals and God, between nations and God, all that can ultimately be restored because of what happened on the cross. So be humble and come. All it takes is, is, is the humility to repent when, when confronted by what happened on the cross. Then you're restored into the family of God. What was broken way back in Eden can now be restored. So now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens with all of God's holy people. And it gets even better. You're members of God's family. You don't just have a, you know, a new passport. You're in the family. Together, we're his house. God lives among us, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. He's the reason that that we can come together. We're carefully joined in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, you're also made a part of this dwelling. Together with the Jewish people, together with people that thought they had it, now they do. Because of him. You're made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Holy Spirit. This is restoration. But it, it asks for your humility and your repentance to come and be a part of it. Now, the passage from Mark shows that it, it's not just about the benefits of, of coming close. That is a benefit. You're in the family. That's, that's a, of immense value. That's, that's ultimate restoration. But it's not just for you. It's supposed to be through you. To others. And, and the passage from Mark is a reminder, I think, of that. Because there are still people who are far away. There are still people who are not humble and not repentant. They don't know what they don't know. And it's a reminder to serve. So in, in Mark, Jesus and, and the disciples are doing ministry. And they're, they're getting worn out. They don't even have time to eat. And so Jesus says, hey, a little vacay. We're going to go off for a little while and just, you know, just relax, have some food, take some downtime. Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. 
You ever been there? So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. And what happens? They were followed, right? Everybody was like, I bet I know where that boat's going. You know that picnic place over there? Let's go. And they they all go. And they show up where where Jesus and the apostles were. Can you what was it what do you think it would be like if you were one of the disciples sitting on the boat and you're getting closer to shore and you're like are, why are we still going here? Come on, let's go someplace else, right? I, I know I know a hotel down the road. Come on. But but Jesus kept on going. In, in fact it says he had compassion on these these other people, the ones who were so needy. He had compassion on them. They, they, they didn't have any guidance. They weren't coming except that they knew that they needed. And they were finding what they needed in Jesus. And he had compassion on them. And he taught them many things, it says. And the disciples who had come on this trip to get away and to finally get something to eat were ultimately told, hey, Feed everybody. Can you, do you see the irony in that? They're hungry themselves. They had enough for one meal. They had five loaves and two fish. Thirteen people. Twelve disciples. Jesus, thirteen. They had enough for one meal. Five loaves and two fish doesn't go very far. You don't even get a half a loaf. You get a mouthful of fish. But, you know, I mean, you can make do. And then Jesus says, hey, feed everybody else. But Jesus, we only have five and two. Yeah, but they're hungry. That's why we came away with you, Jesus. We're hungry. We're tired. Yeah, but they're hungry. Go ahead and give away what you got. You ever been there? You feel like you don't have any more to give away? And yet somehow you know you're being told, give it away. And and, and so they did... And then they ended up with, with more than they had to begin with. Do you know that very often when God asks you to give it all away, you, you end up with a blessing that's beyond what you would have had before. The ones who give and serve find greater reward than those who are being served. You ever known that to be true? Afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread. They each had a basket at this point. They started out with less than half a loaf and fish. Now, I'm not saying, you know, give to the Lord and you'll get rich. That's not what I'm, that's not the point. But serve the Lord and you'll find that he looks after you. Because there are people out there that he cares about. They're far away. They don't even know. And once you find out, once you're in the family, then you're in with a group of people who know the Lord. And through us, he will reach people in ways that we can't imagine. You and I are, we're we're saved to serve, not saved to sit. It takes another layer of humility and repentance. Just It took humility and repentance for the people of Israel to receive God's restoration to come back to Israel. 
It takes humility and repentance for Jews and Gentiles alike to be able to come to to the Lord and, and be welcomed into his family. It takes humility and repentance once you're in to serve those who are around us. Humility and repentance. If I was going to sum everything up according to what it said today, give God glory. Be humble before him. Be repentant before him. Because he's good. Your needs will be met, but he's good. Everybody in the room can probably identify with with some of this. God is worthy of our praise. God restores when we humbly repent. The restoration to intimacy with God has come through the cross. And a restored family joins God in serving rather than being served. I don't know where you are this morning. But I pray that the Lord has captured your attention on something in this. Because his word means to shape us and to draw us close to him. That we can be those who are sent out. Amen. 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 Well, let's uh, stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.